This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly show, the Husker Online team will give you the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, baseball, and of course, recruiting. Now, here's your host, Husker Online publisher, Sean Callahan. Hello here and welcome again to another edition of the Husker Online show. Sean Callahan, Robert Washett, Nate Klaus, as we are talking Big Ten money. And, you know, guys, you hear everyone say, oh, it's the Power Five, it's the Power Five. But I think when you look at the landscape of college football, college athletics right now, to me it's becoming even more clear. It's the Power Two. Um, There's the upper class. There's kind of the upper middle class, and then there's the rest. And the Big Ten and the SEC right now are in that upper, upper class of college football uh, with the additional monies they get not only from the TV side, but obviously the great fan bases and, and, and supporting uh, supporters they have. And this week, to me, it was never more evident when you saw what Michigan State was able to do. Michigan State got turned down by Luke Fickle, which, by the way, I still am surprised he turned that job down. Um, I I figured over $5 million would get him to take the Michigan State job because it's hard to say what other $5 million jobs are going to plus are going to come open. But they had to circle back around um, and, and hire Mel Tucker from Colorado, who initially they had spoken with earlier in the week, who initially comes out and says, I'm staying put, I'm happy to be at Colorado. All of a sudden – <laughs> midnight Wednesday uh, he you know he's now Michigan State's head coach and they're going to pay him over five million dollars a year for a guy that was five and seven has only been a head coach for one year in college football and to me that tells you just the power of the Big Ten right now the amount of money they have that they can just write a check like that without even thinking twice um, you know, because they have the money and they're able to use it. And um, I just think, Rob and Nate, you're going to see this gap continue to widen when it comes to not only assistant coaches, coordinators, the support staff, whether it's recruiting bodies and analysts and graphics people and people that are holding the cell phones up and doing, you know, multimedia digital work for different schools. This is where the SEC and the Big Ten are, are, are lapping the field right now. And uh, the Mel Tucker move to me was another indication. Yeah, and I think it's only going to continue. Uh, right now, it's uh, essentially the new – remember the facilities arms race? Now it's the coaching salary arms race where uh, the money being thrown around right now is the, the greatest across the board as we've ever seen it. So where teams that you know wouldn't necessarily throw out that kind of money uh, aren't blinking at not only paying top dollar for head coaches but uh, giving million-plus uh, salary pools for assistant coaches, getting analysts on you know big contracts and uh, all sorts of different support staff to where, uh, I mean, the, the just all-encompassing financial commitment to just housing a football staff is uh, in, in uncharted territories right now. And, um, I mean, it's only going to continue. I mean, the fact that, you know, Michigan State is willing to throw around that kind of money, that sets the bar for the entire conference. Well, Nebraska basketball, Fred Hoiberg. Exactly. I mean, they, there, five, six, seven years ago, that hire doesn't happen at Nebraska. Never. Never. And so, I mean, it's the. I think athletic directors and universities are realizing that uh, to compete at a championship level, you got to pay at a championship level. And if you think that you have your guy, um, you know, a few million dollars isn't going to stop you from getting them. Well, and if you're the Pac-12, it's kind of a double whammy because not only do you not have the money to pay those same type of salaries, but the cost of living. I mean, that money does not go nearly as far, um, you know, across the board in the Pac-12 as it may in the Big Ten or SEC or even the ACC. So 
Um, you know, it's it's, it's kind of I mean that's it's kind of a gut punch if you're the Pac-12, um, just to be able to see you know what could happen overnight, um, you know, and the type of money that's being thrown around. Well, here's a stat backing that up that I saw from Dennis Dodd on Twitter, where uh, Alabama spent more money on recruiting last year, two point six million dollars, than Mel Tucker made as head coach of Colorado at two point four. That's nuts. Think about that. Their recruiting budget was bigger than the head coach's salary at another Power Five institution. And, you know, it's the Big Ten, it's the SEC, and I saw Bruce Feldman and Andy Staples, so you have to also include Clemson, Oklahoma, and Texas. It's Mm -hmm. those two leagues in those three schools, and Notre Dame to an extent. Um, And then the rest of the leagues are, are just in a different level of status right now as far as what they have to offer. And, you know, this goes back, I know there was a lot of criticism of Nebraska, um, our debate about going to the Big Ten and losing some of the rivalries. Um, but if Nebraska was not in the Big Ten right now, it's hard to imagine where they would be uh, because that additional, you know, $15, 20000000 million a year that they're getting because of the Big Ten is allowing all the other things that are happening here, whether it's the new facilities for all the sports, the new football facility, um, you know, the coaching hires and the resources that they have. Um, none of that's happening right now without being in the Big Ten. Yeah, and it's the reason why that move was made. And you could say all you want about the competitive disadvantage of uh, you know, the Texas influence of the Big 12, but what it came down to is Nebraska was set to see a huge chunk of money by moving to the Big Ten Conference, and especially with that TV contract and um, basically the, the, the league-wide uh, income that, that goes on in the Big Ten. Um, it was a no-brainer from that sense. And, yeah, I mean, Nebraska doesn't take all these steps towards building for the future um, if they didn't have that uh, extra Big Ten income that they're getting. Yeah, that, that move was definitely made with, uh, you know, the long-term – uh, in mind, you know, with the, with the type of money that's out there and everything. Um, and, and I know people, you know, some people still aren't completely on board with it, but um, it's becoming more and more clear that that was, that was by far and away the best decision that could have been made. Um, you know, and, and it, had it not, who knows, you know, who knows where, where things would be at. I know people are unhappy right now. People are frustrated with where the program's at, but but if you're still stuck in the Big 12 or... Maybe or, you're winning more because of the conference you're in. Maybe. But... On a national scale, you know, you're you're going into a gunfight with a knife. Yep. Yeah, you'd be winning maybe slightly more with a lot less money. And then, you know, when it comes time to winning and playing for bigger things, which Nebraska still is a long ways from that, um, you know, if that's where you strive to get to, you want to give yourself uh, the best chance. And, you know, I I had a good debate on Sunday. Uh, Steve Rosen wrote a story just with the coaching salaries and, and whatnot and where Frost is at and where his salary pool is at. And uh, a poster by the name of D.O.N.U. really was going at it that Frost is highly overpaid and the staff's overpaid. I'm like, look at the numbers. And now you add Mel Tucker. Frost is the sixth highest paid coach in the Big Ten. That's crazy. There are, you know, upwards of, I think there's close to 10 coaches now in the conference that are in that 3-9-5 range. Uh, the lowest paid guy is Tom Allen in Indiana because Indiana can't, I mean, Indiana can't really probably pay football coach much more than that, but the baseline entry level pay for a head football coach is $3.9 million, which is far more money than Bo Pelini ever made in Nebraska. Yeah. Mike Uh, Riley too. Mike Riley. So it really puts in perspective when you see those numbers that Frost is basically the middle of the salary pool for head coach salaries. And, and it's right. I mean, I'm not saying he deserves more, but that is the rate. And I know when that contract was given to Frost, 
it opened up a lot of eyes because we're like, whoa, you know, we're I think we're used to Nebraska being on the cheap or mm -hmm. trying to get the bargain coach yeah. um, and the Osborne way of kind of running it, you know, like you're trying to be thrifty with the, the budget, but it, it's just, it's different. You know, you, you can't get away with it anymore in this league. Well, and Frost's salary too opened the door for basketball to get Fred Hoiberg because you can't pay a basketball coach more than your football coach. Not, not here. It's just not going to work. And so when Frost, you know, got that type of, that type of salary, suddenly Nebraska basketball had a lot more that they could, you know, theoretically work with. And so uh, there's the ripple effect of kind of opening up the checkbook and being willing to spend that kind of money to get the, the top coach that you want uh, goes beyond football. It's carried on over to basketball and I'm sure other sports as well. And as long Nate as Nebraska keeps giving that money back to the school too, because they have about 10 million a year they give back. I think they'll be able to continue to get away with uh, doing a lot of these things because the university side, I think, has to be kind of, for whatever reason, they still, you know, Nebraska is self-sufficient. There's still a political university side that they have to appease to as well. Yeah, I mean, there's the optics of the academic side versus the athletics and everything, even though the, you know, the university gives zero dollars to the athletic department. I think you still have to, you know those optics are still important, and uh, especially when you know the the statewide the statewide university budget is is kind of in, in a mess. But um, you know I'm curious to see you know what kind of ripple effect this has with the coaches too. I mean Tucker has been a head coach for one year, and he was able to to double down you know and and you know double his salary uh, by kind of putting his name in the coaches transfer portal a little bit. Yeah, it's well. I mean, those Big Ten SEC jobs—they're not very many of them, and that's where the money's at. And that once again, I'll go back to Luke Fickle. He might be regretting this a year from now because he may not get an. I mean, he may, he may or may not get a type of contract that Tucker just got next year. Who knows? Uh, but I'm telling you, he ain't coming in the Pac-12. And if USC opens, I just don't know if USC. I mean, USC may have to pay that kind of money to get a guy next year if they do make a move on Clay Elton. Um, but. It doesn't seem like the Pac-12 has that kind of money. What SEC job, what Big Ten job are going to open next year or down the road that Luke Fickle is going to be able to get that kind of money? Yeah, and just think about, too, the, the commitment. It went beyond just paying Mel Tucker. They gave him an assistant uh, assistant contract pool of $6.4 million. That is just below Ohio State at 7.2 and ahead of Michigan at six flat. So, I mean, they're all in on this hire, and they're giving Mel Tucker every single financial resource possible. I got one for Luke Fickle. Maybe Texas? Yeah. yeah. I guarantee you, like, he probably thinks Cincinnati's going to be really good this year, and they're going to continue to raise his stock as a coach, and he's going to go into it. Um, he's probably negotiating with schools right now with his agent, and, you know, they're going to find a much better situation than a school fa facing uh, the type of Maybe Brian stuff. Kelly leaves Notre Dame. Yeah. I mean, he, I think he could have way better options. Maybe Texas State. opens if Herman kind of has another bad year. I mean, there's, there's only so many jobs. There's only, well, yeah, I mean, maybe three. Three or four different Michigan if Harbaugh left. Yeah, maybe. But is Michigan going to hire an Ohio State guy? Is he? Yeah, I mean that's a great. I mean, who knows? I, mean, I what, doubt that. I mean, even though, yeah, I highly doubt that Michigan would would go after somebody with so many Ohio State ties. Yeah, but, could but be a good you got burn, USC, though, yeah. Texas, maybe Notre Dame, and then like I don't see Fickle as an SEC guy. Like I don't see him going to Auburn. You know, or no, that you know, wouldn't end well. I wouldn't want any part of the SEC West. Mm -mm. No. I mean, that's what makes the Mike Leach thing so weird. Like, I mean, I get the money, but that's a terrible situation to be in with that, that wild of a division. Because recruiting rules are optional. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's, it's, 
cutthroat down there with the fan bases. And, you know, a guy like Ed Ordron won a national title. He could be fired within two years. <laughs> yeah. We saw it already. We saw um, Malzahn. Not like Malzahn. He was, under, he was under a bunch of heat, though. Well, he's been, yeah. yeah. It's like every year. Well, Gene Chizik got fired. Yeah, there he go. won a national title and yep. got fired. <laughs> and Malzahn got processed off of his staff for whatever mm-hmm. odd reason, went to Arkansas State, then came back to Auburn as head coach. Yeah. yeah. See, uh, uh, that's why I think that there's a, a handful of jobs, like Nate said, that I'm sure he's waiting on that, again, are more appealing than what Michigan State has to offer. Michigan State's spending a lot. But there's a lot of baggage that goes with that job. I mean, there's there's some issues up in East Lansing right now. And they don't have really an, that guy's not really the long term AD. He's kind of he's kind of the temporary AD. So even worse. Lots of questions. All right. Well, when we come back, uh, Nebraska got four invites to the NFL Combine here this past week. We'll give our thoughts on that and much more next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus as this segment of the Husker Online Show brought to you by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill. Get on into Tanner's here over the weekend. Nebraska basketball plays Wisconsin here Saturday at 1. Also the XFL. Robin, Nate, did you guys watch XFL? Did you get into it a little bit? I did. I'm yeah. all in on the St. Louis Battlehawks. Battlehawks? Yeah, I'm a big Battlehawks fan. Big, big Battlehawks guy. They, uh, they were big dogs like in the – Nine and a half point. And um, biggest dog of the weekend. And they played Dallas, who was the uh, preseason favorite to win the XFL championship. So eat it, Dallas. I, I know. I know um, <laughs> some local books would not take um, bets on those games because the information was just not strong <laughs> just enough. And, they were like praising the, the Vegas uh, handicappers at the beginning of the, like, for the first game because they like nailed the over under. But they like, didn't know Rhett Bomar was going to be yeah, out. I mean, it was just, or not Rhett Bomar. Who's the quarterback? Uh, for Landry Jones. Landry Jones. Right. Yeah. Red Bomar. <laughs> That's a name way. He's still selling cars. Your college quarterback. And he's probably playing in the XFL. But no, I thought it was good. It, I will say it's a way better product than the AAF. Way better. And it's not even close. They have better announcers. I mean, it's, it's presented like on ESPN and Fox. I mean, like. And that's it's, why it's better. I, because the players are, by and large, the same. Yeah, but yeah. I think you've got ESPN. You've got you've got legit announcers like Joel Klatt was doing and the Fox yeah. the game. presentation of it too, like the mic'd up access. Yeah. The I mean, being able the interviews to, on the sideline, yeah, like, yeah. like ten seconds after a guy fumbles the ball, he's got a microphone in his face. Guys are dropping f bombs. They're like zeroing in on the guy with the Xbox controller doing the instant replay. It's like wild, and so you get these like inside reality aspects of football that you would never get in the NFL. And that's why I think it's going to do well. Well, then you know, you, you look at the gambling element of it. They put the point spread mm-hmm. next to the teams now on the bug and the over-under. <laughs> so, I mean, if you're in, like, in Vegas for the weekend or Council Bluffs or anywhere, I mean, kind of gives you <laughs> a reason to really get into these games and, and watch. I think they, they realize that. Oh, yeah, and they know what they're doing. And DeMorey Pearsonell had a good weekend. Yes, he did. Yeah. Gerald Foster did. Brandon Riley had one catch before yeah, he took on the a, opening drive. Took they, a knee they, to the back. Yeah, and so he, he made a really nice catch over the middle on a slant uh, and got dinged up and didn't play the rest of the game. But DeMorey played really well. He did muff a punt. He recovered it. But I think he had like you know almost like 60, 70 yards of total offense, including like a 40-yard catch to help his team win the game. Go Battle Hawks. <laughs> be, let's go. Let's make a convince our wives that we're making a road trip down to St. Louis. I think the championship is in uh, Houston this year. Well, let's worry about getting to a game in St. Louis first. <laughs> Nate, you're going down. We're driving down the slough and, yeah. um, and, and watching Brandon and DeMornay. But let, let's talk NFL Combine, guys. Nebraska gets four invites. D- uh, Darian Daniels. 
Khalil Davis, Carlos Davis, Lamar Jackson. I, I think not a shocker with Darian Daniels, not a shocker with Lamar. Both of them were senior bowl invites and really not a shocker about Khalil because he had a really strong showing in the East-West Shrine game. Uh, Carlos um, you know, had a little bit quieter uh, draft prep month, but I think it tells you guys how strong that D-line was last year at times. You know, they had three guys make the combine. Mm -hmm. um, they held their own when they played Iowa late in the year. Obviously, the Wisconsin game, two of those three guys were out uh, for Nebraska. But um, we, we thought all along last year the D-line was the strength for Nebraska, and it once again um, was the strength when it came to the NFL guys. Well, and to have you know five, all four guys be on the defensive side of the ball, including Lamar Jackson, who's probably the the team's top overall NFL prospect. Uh, you know, I mean, I think that that shows that they had some talent to work with, and you know, it kind of you know indicates that uh, by nature of the offense, the defense is is going to look worse than maybe it is. I mean, I, I don't know if the numbers they allow are going to be perfectly indicative of uh, you know how good uh, the players are and how good the scheme is on that side. And, and you mentioned it. I mean, the the way that they have performed in these um, you know these postseason games or these All Star games, I think, kind of validates that that they were pretty good, um, and that that maybe the overall numbers. Um, you know, I, I think you, you have to dig a little deeper to to find out just how good some of these guys were, and um, you know, and, and they're all going to be guys that Nebraska is going to miss sorely uh, next year. But to go from you know, to have four guys invited after only having what was it? Only Stanley was the only guy last year, right? Uh, I don't think Divine got invited. No, last year. Divine did not. No. Yeah, Stanley was the only guy. Yeah. So I mean, that's progress at least. <laughs> well, and, and look, I mean, Luke Gifford, Stanley Morgan, Divine, like all of those guys should have been invited. Yeah, they should have like, been. Yeah. I, I really still don't understand how they didn't get one draft pick with that trio. I know. All th I mean, it was it was like I thought Stanley was a no brainer, and I thought Divine had a chance to sneak in at the end, but. It was like Billy Devaney and Mike Riley said, let's stick it to Nebraska and, and tell all of our guys not to invite these guys to the Combine so we can end their draft streak. <laughs> and let's end the last streak they got besides the sellout streak. It's quite the conspiracy. Uh, yeah, it, it, I mean, because it, it doesn't add up. You have three guys make active rosters oh, I know. that, that I know. put up numbers. Yeah. The fact that Stanley get drafted is a travesty. I don't care. Like, I mean, he made an active roster. Like, he was good enough to be drafted. The fact that he didn't was, I don't I don't have no explanation for it. Yeah, it just tells you how hard it is. Now, the SEC had 94 combine invites. The Big Ten with 57, um, 47 in the Pac-12, 37 in the ACC, 29 in the Big 12. Mm. Now, wow. they, only, they only have 10 teams, so they're averaging 2.9 per team. But, I mean, how of those 29, a good chunk are Oklahoma, Texas-type guys. I mean, it's it's really startling. We talked about in our last segment the gaps of the leagues, but every year it's Big Ten, Big SEC, one, two. And SEC's obviously been number one really every year in a row, I think, for over 10 years now. Yeah, by a pretty wide margin, too. And yeah, I mean, that kind of shows about the. Uh, the haves and the have nots. It goes beyond just you know what your your financial capabilities are, but a lot of times that coincidentally leads to getting the best players. And when you have the best players, you have the best league, and vice versa. Well, and there's a little bit of a gap in the Big Ten too. I mean, when you look at uh, Ohio State and Michigan being tied at the top with 11 players, yeah, Ohio State's been carrying the conference's water for a while. Yeah. So thank I mean, you, Urban. Yeah. yeah exactly. Kidding. Um, you know, I, I guess kind of surprising would be, uh, you know, Penn State and Iowa having five uh, in, in Wisconsin only, you know, having just as many as Nebraska. Um, you know, I, I would have thought that. 
both Penn State and Wisconsin might have had a, a few more than that, just just based off of their uh, you know their record and how they've been playing the past couple of years. How many did you say the Big Ten had? Total Fifty-seven. So Ohio State had eleven of those this year. So I mean that kind of shows twenty twenty percent pretty much. Yeah. So. To be expected, though. I mean, that's the difference between that, that college football level program and everybody else. There's a big difference in talent. Yeah, if you just took those four college football playoff teams and added Georgia, those five really, I mean, they're, they're more than any conference probably when you just took those five right there. I mean, they are, uh, it's like they're in a different set of leagues. But mm-hmm. um, it will be interesting to see. I think Nebraska will get at least two draft picks this year. I mean, we know Lamar's going to get drafted. I think we know Darian Daniels will get picked. It's a matter of how the Davis Twins will end up going. Yeah, right now, if you look at the NFL.com prospect grades, Lamar Jackson is the highest-graded Husker with a 5.69. And what that means, according to the uh, grade rankings, would put him right in the realm of a developmental traits-based prospect or a uh, chance to make uh, end-of-roster or practice squad. So... That's your best overall player right there. And uh, Darian Daniels is next at a 5.58. So that puts him, you know, right around the uh, practice squad level. And then neither of the Davis twins received a grade. So that's kind of where things stand right now, initially before the combine. That's why you got to get your degree, kids. Yeah, no doubt. It's pretty tough to make that next level. But uh, when we come back, we're going to talk Nebraska basketball. The Huskers almost pulled off a shocker in College Park. Now they're back home against Wisconsin. Uh, can they snap this long losing streak? We'll get Robin Washett's thoughts next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. But we also missed some really good shots in the first half. You know, I thought we had some open ones. I thought we lost our mind for about a three-minute stretch where we came down and took you know, an off-the-dribble three without moving the defense. Uh, you know, we drove into a pile. A couple times we talked about how selective we needed to be at the rim uh, because of Jalen Smith's ability to, to, uh, to protect the rim. And, you know, that really fuels their break. Uh, but other than that, you know, I thought we had some good looks. I thought Thor had, had some good ones. I thought Kevin had some really good ones. And Kevin's been shooting the ball uh, very well lately. Cam had, had some good looks today. Um, the second half, you know, a few of those went in. And the other thing, I thought we rebounded the heck out of the ball in the second half. That's been an issue for us all year uh, with, you know, the size that we're giving up. Uh, to our opponent pretty much every night. But, you know, I thought we battled the heck out of it. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett. And here as we talk Nebraska basketball, the Huskers fall 72-70 to at Maryland. Um, they were really a play away from pulling off maybe the biggest upset in college basketball this season, one of the biggest ones uh, for sure, uh, for sure in the Big Ten, uh, to go on the road against Red Hot Maryland, um, and, and, and steal a win. You have your best player go to the rim with a chance and a layup. Um, he gets blocked on the shot. Uh, but still, Robin, a lot you can take away. Um, and I feel like we say that a lot every week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there, there, there was a lot you could take away from that game on, on uh, Wednesday night. Yeah, Tuesday it, night, excuse me. It goes back to the whole conversation of, you know, there's a difference in losing. I mean, you can lose the way you did against Penn State and against Iowa, and it's a completely different conversation. But then the way, uh, you know, it's still a ninth straight loss, it's still 17th loss on the season um, when they went out to Maryland, but the way that they played uh, was as good as far as a complete 40-minute stretch as we've seen from them all season long. Uh, I mean, and that's with missing a bunch of shots in the first half because – 
the effort was there and the want to was there and guys played like they cared. Uh, that wasn't the case uh, against Iowa, particularly in the second half. That wasn't the case in the second half against Penn State. And so uh, for where this season looked like it was headed just a few days ago, um, coming off that Iowa game, you know, there was a real concern that, you know, Fred lost the team and this thing was going to spiral into a total disaster. Uh, but then they go out there with their underhand, undermanned with uh, Deshaun Burke staying at home with the flu. Uh, Hanif Cheatham uh, wasn't even cleared to play until, you know, just before uh, the shoot around uh, with a calf injury he suffered against Iowa. They shook up their starting lineup. Gervais Green started for the first time since Creighton. Uh, Kevin Cross made his first career start. And so they kind of pulled out all the stops and it worked whatever buttons were pushed uh, Nebraska looked like a completely different team than they had the past two times out and uh, you know they caught Maryland not respecting their opponent and they had a chance to win that game in the final seconds and like you said that would have been by far their best win of the year and by far one of the best wins in Big Ten this season but uh, now the issue is can you carry it over to a second straight game Nebraska has not been able to sustain momentum at all all season long uh, for every step forward, whether it's beating Iowa or beating Purdue or uh, playing close against Rutgers, they have come out the next time out and looked like a completely different team and take three, four steps back uh, as far as establishing some sort of momentum. So now that's, that's a big key. I mean, they, yeah, sure. They played great for one game against Maryland, but now you have an opportunity at home on a Saturday afternoon against Wisconsin, uh, a team that is mediocre at best. And you have them uh, on legends weekend with a bunch of former players. Uh, I mean, there's going to be, you know, some hoopla going on with that. The and, show, the nineties video weekend of like, the, exactly. The, a bunch of Eric Strickland dunks and the 10 year run of Nebraska basketball <laughs> exactly. where they just show the same plays. Exactly. Uh, that, that highlight reel that we think we've all seen about. Will Tim miles times. come back to legends nah, weekend. I don't think so. Not yet. Not yet. Too, he's uh, he's still around. Oh yeah. He still is there. He might be calling a game because, you know, he's keek works most weekends. But anyway, the table is set for them to actually do something they haven't done all year, and that's string together two straight games of quality basketball. And if they can find a way to at least put forth the same effort they did against Maryland, they're going to have every shot to win that game against Wisconsin. But, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, there's been too many times where you feel like this team has turned the corner only for them to come crashing down on their face uh, the next time out. Yeah, Robin, when I look at this season for Nebraska, there's – Still a few things that you really have to like. Number one, we've talked about it at length. Cam Mack, long term, you got a bona fide star. Um, the job they've done with Thor, I mean, that to me is one of the better coaching jobs we've seen with a guy that was really a non-factor mm -hmm. to now being a factor. Kevin Cross's growth development, I think you have to be excited um, about what he's brought. And then Gervais Green, I mean, this is a guy we all kicked to the curb and kind of thought it was done. And the way he's played the last maybe a week and a half, two weeks, um, that's been a pleasant surprise. Yeah, I mean, obviously Thor is, you know, probably the feel-good story of the season, but the roller coaster that Gervais has ridden this year, uh, going from starting the first nine games to being suspended for the first two Big Ten games to being a coach's uh, scratch from the lineup, uh, I mean, it looked like this was going to end pretty ugly with him. Uh, and to his credit, he stuck it out and he continued to, you know, just fight through whatever he was dealing with to now, you know, he got an opportunity against Maryland and he made the absolute most of it. He got an opportunity to play an extensive role, um, again, that game against Iowa. And he was the only reason that game was as close as it was. And so, you know, I mean, it's one of those deals where guys are trying to figure themselves out and figure this team out every time they take the floor. And when you can look at little instances like, you know, the, the, 
steadying of the ship with Gervais Green, the the steady development of Kevin Cross, and um, you know the surprising uh, flourishing of uh, Thor Thorbjorn Arson. Those are the types of things that you know you can say, wow, those were positives on a season that didn't have a lot to feel good about. Now, uh, if they can actually get the reward of some victories and you know, experience some on court success for once. That would do wonders just for this team's morale. But uh, as of now, there's still a handful of good things you can take away from this year, even if you know they, they don't get uh, any more in the win column. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Robin Washed, and as you mentioned, it's it's Wisconsin now in Lincoln uh, before getting a little bit of another break here. But three of the next four are at home. I mean, this is somewhat of a bigger stretch for Nebraska Robin um, as they, they close this year one of Hoiberg. Yeah, I mean, I think the Wisconsin is by far, I mean, at least until senior day against Northwestern, the, their best opportunity to get a win. And like I said, they actually have momentum. It's going to be a good environment. Uh, the table's set for that to happen. And then, you know, Michigan State, that, that was a team that was preseason number one in the country and fell out of the top 25 this year. And yeah, they did just beat Illinois, uh, a top 20 team. And so, uh, you know, you have Illinois coming in after or going to Illinois after that. But I mean, there's there's still a couple opportunities out there, I think, for Nebraska to get a win or two. And, you know, this is a team that going into the year, Ken Palm had them going one and 19 in Big Ten play. And here they are. They've already got, you know, two wins, uh, but they nearly went on the road and beat Rutgers. They nearly went on the road and beat Maryland. And, you know, they, they've had opportunities where or situations where they've played way better than anybody expected. And so, um, you know, I think when you look at what this season is, you got to look beyond the record and find those types of things we were talking about earlier uh, to really define just kind of how much momentum was actually gained this year. And I'll correct myself, they're home for four of the next five. So um, then they close the year with two road games. Two so, straight senior nights. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a big stretch here where you'll see Nebraska and Lincoln here a lot um, here over the next couple of weeks. All right, when we come back, we're going to introduce one of our new interns, Sean Leatherman. He's going to join us in studio here as we take your questions in the mailbag. That's next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Hey, I heard you this is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. It's time for the weekly mailbag segment. And our interns grow up and they graduate and they move on. We bring in some new interns, and today we're going to bring in one of our newer uh, interns who had kind of been shadowing us here through the football season. But uh, welcome here to the Husker Online family. I'll call it a family because we are a family. Uh, Sean Leatherman, a uh, sophomore UNL student, uh, Omaha native, Creighton Prep graduate. Uh, Sean, glad to have you on board, buddy. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. All right, well, you got your first installment of the mailbag, and I'm going to tell you again, get an avatar. Um, yeah, <laughs> he, made, he, he made his post on the board, Nate and Robin, without an avatar. Oh, yeah, boy. I learned the hard way. Strike yeah. one. First thing yeah, I noticed, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't even read it actually because <laughs> you didn't have an avatar. So he, he's got just the the rivals jersey right. for an avatar, right. and, and he's still and he doesn't have a Facebook account, so he doesn't right. have like just a plethora of pictures available. Right. Um, so you got to get an avatar. But what do you got to start us out with, Sean? All right. So the first question today is: Which early enrollee will have the biggest impact this season? Whew. Well, there's 10 of them if you count Isaac Gifford. Um, and I, I think on, man, that Edival Magua, I think, is, is Malga. one. Malga. Malga is, is, is where I go right now. Uh, Va Mag, Malga. Um, I, I just think at inside linebacker, the, the road is open for him to get on the field. But um, Alante Brown is, is right there with me as well. 
Yeah, that's that's pretty much the two guys I would I would probably go with as well. I mean, I think you you always have to look at JUCO guys first, and and I think uh, Malga Clements is is the guy on defense that you you have to look at, especially given how thin they are at the inside linebacker position. And then you know Alante Brown on the offensive side. Um, you know, I know I, it sounds like he's been doing great, and uh, and he's not your you know he's not your typical incoming freshman he's a prep school guy so he's he's a little bit more developed a little bit more seasoned so um i mean those are the two that i think you know probably stand the best chance jordan riley um yeah i mean he could be yeah he could be another one too um i mean they're gonna need him they're gonna need him up front to to go ahead and make an impact but i think i think malga clements is the guy who's probably gonna make a greater impact yeah i think just because it's the nature of his position yeah uh, ample opportunity all right, guys. Do you think Avante Dickerson will go to Ohio State? Um, Nate, I'll let you go first in this one. You know, I mean, it's a possibility. I, I would say that it's far from a foregone conclusion that he'll end up there. Um, you know, especially with all the new offers he's gotten. I mean, he's added a ton of new offers here over the last couple of weeks, including a lot of a lot of SEC schools that have come in and and offered. And, and so I, I'm sure that. You know he's going to have to try and reevaluate some things and and you know where schools stand, but um, you know I think I think there's going to be three schools that are going to be right at the top for him for you know probably all the way up until he, the time he makes a decision, and that's going to be Nebraska, Ohio State, and Oregon. And you know I, I think that um, you know Nebraska is definitely going to have to fight off the Buckeyes, but I don't think that it's a foregone conclusion that he goes there. In fact, I right now, if I had to like pick a school, I would probably say Nebraska is a school that I would pick for him at this point. In well, time. Nate, what we don't know is how many offers has Ohio State put out to corners, and will they actually put boots on the ground in Omaha this spring and go see him at the school? Um, I mean, there's a couple key pieces of the puzzle there that will really let you know where he falls on their board, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean – uh, and we'll get a much more clear picture of that this spring, like you said, you know, in terms of um, when they come and see him. You know, is he one of the first guys that they see once they're able to, to hit the road in, this, in the spring evaluation period? Or or is he, you know, kind of a, a guy they swing by late or, or do they come at all? You know, we'll, we'll have a much better idea of exactly where he's at on their board, I think, uh, here in the next couple months. We're taking your questions in the mailbag with Husker Online intern Sean Leatherman. All right, with DeWitt and Walters out and Dawson and Lubbock in, is this the deepest recruiting staff you've seen top to bottom at Nebraska? I mean, there's been some pretty good ones. Bill Callahan had some really good recruiters. I mean, even go to his coordinator back then, Kevin Cosgrove, was he recruited several NFL guys out of St. Louis, Bill Bush, as we know, John Blake, Randy Jordan. Um, that was a really, really good recruiting staff, especially when you take a few steps back and look at it today. The end of the Mike Riley era had some good recruiters. Unfortunately, they didn't have very many. They didn't win very many games, but it is a good staff. There are no, there's no doubt. Date. I mean, there's a lot of good recruiters on the staff right now. Yeah, there's a lot of really good recruiters on this staff, and I, I think they definitely upgraded too with uh, with the two new additions, um, or with Dawson coming back and then uh, the addition of Lubick. But um, yeah, I would probably still give the slight edge to that Callahan staff. I mean, even Dennis Wagner was an underrated recruiter. Um, all the way back on that on that Bill Callahan staff, but um, you know the if you're going to pick a couple of the stars, I mean I think John Blake and Bill Bush could go toe to toe with uh, Ryan Held and Travis Fisher. Uh, I mean I, I think those two could more than hold their own. Well, right and there. as a recruiting head coach, Callahan was as hands on as we've seen at Nebraska. Yeah, 
Yeah, he really was. Like the guy or not, I mean, he was he was really really involved. Yeah, he was very involved. He was very organized. He had a plan in place. Um, you know, so like yeah, like you said, like him or not, he. I mean, they got results on the recruiting front. That's for sure. And those players led to three conference championship game appearances. Uh, for for Bo Pelini once they hit their third, fourth, fifth years at Nebraska. So uh, what do you got next? Who who do you think will be the next in-state Nebraska athlete to get offered by the coaching staff? Phew. Man, I mean, I, you look, Nate, for the next year right now, for 2021, James Carney at Norris is somebody at tight end that I think you can keep an eye on. I just don't know if he falls in the offer conversation right now i mean it, i think they've got their four offers out for 21 i mean a nolan goes gorzica i think at one time we thought had a better chance it feels like he's a little bit further down as far as getting an offer goes now yeah i mean with nebraska in on thomas fedoni and then aj rollins who they've already offered at the tight end spot i don't know <clears throat> you know unfortunately for james carney i'm not sure exactly how that how that kind of shakes out i would probably say the next best player uh, or maybe the next you know the player that's closest to getting an offer maybe Isaac Zaska at uh, Henrik or yeah Heinrich Harburg at at Kearney Catholic I mean those two are probably you know next in line I would say right now Um, so and that's later down the road probably yeah I mean probably camp evaluations Um, I mean I think both those guys I know as far as Heinrich Harburg is concerned you know, he's going to have to come and throw for, for Mario Verdusco and Scott Frost for them to, to kind of see if they're going to offer. And then I'm sure with Zadiska, I mean, he's a guy that every time we see him, he's getting bigger and bigger. Um, and so I, I think that, uh, you know, I think that his camp performance, um, you know, this early June or whenever it's going to be is, is going to be pretty big for him. All right, Sean, we have time for one more question. What do you have to close out with? All right, we'll finish off with use one word to describe your expectation of Husker football in the spring. One word. um, I I feel like it's going to be quiet. I I just don't think there's going to be a lot of effort to push hype, to push stories. Um, And that's how they want it, I think. I, I don't think they really want this to be a big wine and roses rainbow spring. I mean, it, it's get to work, get things done, and and not mess around. I mean, I, I believe that's where it's at right now. Yeah, prove would be mine. I'd go to prove it, but I can only choose one. So they need to actually show that there's some tangible evidence that this program's getting better. Uh, they've been talking about it for a long time since day one with zero to show for it. This is the off season where you need to go make it happen. So I agree, Sean's going to be locked down. Uh, they're probably not going to be saying a whole lot, and they shouldn't be saying a whole lot. They need to focus on themselves and getting this thing ready to go to make the most of a very difficult schedule coming up this fall. I'll go with competition. I think there's going to be pretty good competition across the board, uh, virtually every single spot, you know, every position. So, um, you know, I think that's that's probably the one. Unfortunately, I don't think we'll we'll probably won't hear or see a whole lot of how those competitions are going. But I think that uh, I think this is going to be one of the more competitive springs that Nebraska's had in a long time. Well, Sean, you survived your first mailbag, man. I did, yeah. It was awesome. Thank you. Now get an avatar um, and get it figured out yeah, for I next time. Otherwise, that, yeah. you will not hear the end of it. But all right, that wraps it up for Mailbag. When we come back, we'll close it out with some recruiting with Nate Klaus. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, 
Nate Klaus as this segment of the Husker Online Show brought to you by our friends Nate at Coogler Vision. Uh, Nate, tell them about your experience at Coogler Vision. Well, yeah, by now you know that I got my uh, laser vision correction at Coogler Vision, and I'm absolutely loving it. Uh, But did you know their surgeons are local? They're from the area. They love Omaha. They love Lincoln. uh, And they want you to fall in love with Omaha in the area, too. This month, anyone who comes in for a LASIK consult is automatically entered to win an epic Omaha night out. Dinner for two at 801 Chop House and tickets to see the Lumineers March 14th at CHI Health Center. Uh, Get the details at CooglerVision.com. 2020, baby. 2020, right. right, Nate? That's right. The year of clear vision. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk some 2021 recruiting, Nate. Um, kind of a quiet week. I mean, I, I think if you're Scott Frost, this is kind of a week where you're like, "All right, everybody, take a week, go get a haircut, yeah. get get your house in order, get your taxes done, um, catch your breath." And then, obviously, you know, getting ready for spring practice is the next priority for Nebraska. But they are as far ahead right now as we've seen, and really, it takes almost this amount of time to get yourself caught up in recruiting. Yeah, it really does. I mean, uh, they've constantly been playing catch-up ever since they got hired. And, you know, they had to piece together that 2018 class. And, uh, you know, they really were not able to to re- recruit and evaluate ahead um, in the month of January. And, they you know, they, they were behind the eight ball then that spring. And it's just been constant catching up. And now – um, you're you're finally seeing them kind of being ahead of the curve. Uh, you know they've they've done a ton of evaluations. They've got a lot of offers out there, um, and you can tell on the recruiting trail that that that's it's it's gonna be it's gonna pay off. I, I think that they're way ahead of the game. Um, they're in a much better spot right now at this at this point in time uh, as far as the the whole recruiting cycle goes uh, than what they've been uh, in in many many years. And so um, and it doesn't hurt that there's a lot of talent in the area. So uh, but I think that is gonna gonna pay off pay huge dividends actually. Uh, you know as we kind of see these next two three four or five months uh, unfold because you're gonna see a lot more I think official visits in the spring. You're gonna see a lot more unofficial visits and 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 i think that will kind of um you know result in some some more commits you're listening here to the husker online show um did you see uh, any new offers nate i mean it was a kind of a quiet week on that front it, i mean it looked like a couple went out but not not a ton of action yeah not a ton of action uh there were a couple new offers there was a running back david holloman uh out of michigan there's a wide receiver DB type out of Ohio that that picked up offers, but uh, pretty quiet. I, I would say maybe the biggest news was Thomas Fedoni uh, in the the updated rankings uh, making a huge jump uh, from from being I think in the the low you know he was in the rivals 250, but I think he was in the um, you know in the 120s or or 160s or something like that. He jumped all the way up to number 60 in the country. Um, I mean, and for a tight end to jump all the way to number 60 in the nation is it's pretty much unheard of. I, I think it's been a long time since there's been a tight end rated that high. And um, I mean, he's just a few few spots below Teddy Prohaska there in the in that top top 100. And, and I think, you know, I've got reason to believe that that he's going to continue to, to climb the ranks. I mean, he's continuing to get uh, more and more offers, more interest, and and I think the more that uh, that people get to see him and just how how talented he really is, I think that uh, he could be you know one of those rare tight ends that flirts with five star status. Well, Nate, there's currently two tight ends still ahead of him in the 100, so it tells you it's a deeper year. 
um, in the tight end position rankings. Um, at number 38 is Hudson Wolf. Um, he's out of Tennessee, 6'6", 235-pound tight end. And then Clemson's got a, a commit, um, Jake Bringstool, um, out of Brentwood, Ravenwood, um, another Tennessee product. So there's two tight ends in Tennessee. He's 6'6", 215. Um, you know, so it is a very good tight end year, uh, but there's no doubt as far as this footprint of, of the Big Ten, the Big 12, um, he, you know, Fedoni is far and away the top guy. Yeah, and, and obviously I'm more familiar with Fedoni, but um, and I know Bringstool, you know, I'm familiar with him, uh, and he's really good too. But I would I'd put Fedoni right up against either one of those two guys uh, right now. So um, yeah, it is is a deep year for tight ends, and and I think that uh, you know, especially when you've got a guy like that in your own footprint and virtually in your own backyard, uh, I think that's a good that's a good problem to have now. Um, just like a bunch of other these highly ranked guys in, in the area or even in-state guys. I mean, it's it's far from a foregone conclusion that he's going to be – that he's going to end up a Husker. But I think you, you have to like where Nebraska's sitting with a number of these guys, including Thomas Fedoni right now. Yeah, and you look at just, say, 500-mile radius, Nate. Um, Fedoni and Prochaska are really the second and third highest-ranked guys. There's a kid in St. Louis, a corner, um, that's ranked higher. Um, but when – when you look at just this part of the country, uh, that would be, uh, is it Jacqueline Johnson? How do you pronounce it? Jacqueline Johnson. Jacqueline, I'm sorry. Yeah. I knew I was going to screw that up. and <laughs> You <laughs> saved me there again. But, um, yeah, I mean, those are the second and third highest guys in the 500-mile radius, kind of when you look at the footprint right now in the latest Rivals 100. Yeah, and, and you've got T.J. Bowlers there uh, coming in at number 97. Uh, and so, And he's another guy that's obviously a top target of Nebraska's. Just actually just picked up a, an offer from Alabama this week uh, and so um you know which which that in itself is pretty rare i mean it's not every day that alabama is going to iowa uh, now they have done it before but it's not not every day that uh, that they're going to iowa to, to offer guys so um but yeah i mean that i mean the overall talent in this in this footprint is just uh you know as good as we've seen it in, in a long time i think you're listening here to the Husker Alliance show um, as we kind of give some final thoughts on recruiting. We were on the in-state tour as well. Nate, last week, uh, hit four different schools. Um, let's go to Omaha Central as they've got a 22 there. Um, you know, we think 22 is going to be a good year. Um, and I think Friday when we were out at Central last week, that really solidified things for us. Yeah, there's no doubt. Uh, Deshaun Woods, uh, 2022 offensive lineman. I mean, he's got a chance to be pretty special. I mean, just you uh, you take one look at him and you're like, okay, yeah, this is uh, this kid's got a chance. I mean, he's he's six five, maybe pushing six six, two hundred and seventy, two hundred and eighty pounds right now, and not an ounce of bad weight on him. Um, and and he's a you know a great kid too. I mean, he's got a great personality. He's he's a bright, intelligent young man uh, that loves football and loves the weight room and. And that's why he's gotten, you know, a lot of the offers that he already has. Um, you know, and he's got Nebraska, he's got Iowa, Iowa State, um, you know, and maybe another one or two that I'm that I'm forgetting. But he's going to end up being a national type of recruit uh, for sure, a, a regional. I mean, I think he'll pick up a, a ton of Big Ten, um, you know, Big Big Twelve type of, type of offers. But I think he's got a chance to be more of, you know, kind of fall in line with a Teddy Prohaska or, or uh, you know, Avante Dickerson. And, and some of those guys that have reeled in, you know, offers from the SEC and, and several Power Five conferences. Well, lots going on this weekend. Obviously, Husker basketball Saturday versus Wisconsin, but Nebraska baseball will kick things off. 
Um, Three-game series in Waco at Baylor. Um, Ali Snow, Sean Leatherman, Blake Arney, our intern team, will will have you covered with live threads and coverage uh, throughout the weekend of Nebraska baseball. The Huskers officially picked fourth right now in the Big Ten poll that was released on Wednesday by the league and the league coaches. Michigan, no shocker, uh, the favorites, then Ohio State, then Minnesota, then Nebraska, Indiana, and Illinois. So um, a lot of excitement for Coach Bolt as he kicks things off this weekend in Waco. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 